Is this thing still on? I think they can hear us a bit better now. Should we keep talking? Of course. Let's say it louder for those in the back. Hi, and welcome to the Green Nurse Podcast, an unfiltered discussion about health and healthcare. My name is Amy Archibald Burley. And my name is Sarah Fung. And we are your podcast hosts. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, iHeartRadio, or any other podcast platform, don't forget to hit subscribe so you can get updates on new episodes. If you love our podcast and our advocacy work, please go to www.grittynurse.com and click on the Support Us button. This will give you access to exclusive episodes and early releases on a monthly basis. This will help us with the cost of running the podcast, the time and energy to put out awesome and informative episodes. And for that, we thank you and we appreciate you. Hi, everyone, and thank you again for tuning into the Greeners podcast. Um, I'm going to just say this right off the hop. This episode is for women. It's for women, by women, about women. And and I'm a little cheesed. I, I think, you know, women all over the world should be cheesed about what's going on. And, and, you know, I'm using the word cheese because there's like I'm trying to refrain from using as many F-bombs as I possibly can because I do know that my mom listens to this podcast. But honestly, like, what is happening in the U.S.? What is happening with the women's right to choose? What is happening with the women's ability to make a decision over their own body? But before I get into anything more, I'm going to pass it over to Sarah because we have a badass guest who's come back to talk about abortion rights, women's rights, feminism, and I can't wait for her to get into it. So Sarah, please introduce our guest. I can't think of a better person to round out this conversation because this person is fierce. She's also a fellow nurse. She's an advocate and she's a podcaster. So you really can't get more perfect package. And this person is Adrienne Benning. And uh, she actually has been a nurse since 2016 and has worked in all kinds of different units, pulmonary, med surge, overflow, palliative. And prior to this, she was a CNA for 11 years. And if you haven't heard her podcast, it's called Nursing Uncensored, and you want to check that out right now if you haven't listened to it before. And she also talks about all things nursing with an unfiltered approach. And so you can definitely check her podcast out after you listen to her episode. Um, But I'll let Adrienne kind of introduce herself and let us know what she's all about. Thank you for that intro. It's so good to be back. I love talking to the two of you. We're friends on top of fellow podcasters and, you know, just like... Uh, genuine uh, kindred spirits in the world of healthcare and women's rights. But I'd like to add to my bio, everything you said is absolutely true. I'm a long-term CNA. I'm a nurse. I'm an advocate. I'm a loud mouth. I love the fact that I carry all of these titles. But one of the things that I don't usually put on my bio, not because it's not important, but because it's not linear, is the fact that when I was 18, so graduated from a Catholic high school in Illinois, and moved to Iowa City at the tender young age of 18. And my one of my first jobs and the first job that I had for more than just, you know, like a side job in school was at a women's reproductive health care clinic. 
So uh, right out of uh, Roman Catholic High School and right into working in an abortion clinic. So I worked at uh, this clinic from the age of 18 until I was like 23 years old. And I had several different roles within that clinic. Um, but that basically was like my foundation in feminist healthcare. And aside from, you know, learning about uh, abortion, reproductive health care, and birth control, and women's rights, and bodily autonomy, and LGBTQ issues, and all of these things that I had not been exposed to, um, intentionally not been exposed to as a um, uh, student in religious education for most of my life. I was also uh, exposed to things that I consider the basics of the way I nurse. And some of those things to, to maybe break that down into things that are less, less philosophical and more realistic is that like things that I was taught was you always meet your patient face to face, never when they're laying down, never when they are beneath you, you meet them face to face. You know, you talk to them about what they want, not just about what you are doing to them. You are doing it for them and with them. Um, they are not an automobile. You are not popping the hood and working on them. These are human beings that have full lives and full bodily autonomy, and you are helping them exercise their choices. You are an agent of care um, that is helping them do the things that they need to do in their lives. And so that first and foremost was like, that was my introduction to healthcare. Um, and aside from, you know, working, I worked, we did gynecology, we did abortion care, we did like sports physicals for kids, we did specific LGBTQ nights where, you know, we would open up and do free health care for people that traditionally don't seek health care for whatever reasons of discrimination and fear and violence and all of these things. We did all of these things. But my first exposure was working as an advocate in, uh, you know, women's reproductive health care, where I was talking to women about their experiences. I was in the room when they were having procedures done. I was purchasing the supplies needed for, um, you know, both surgical or, you know, vacuum aspiration. And later on, I mean, this, I was doing this before um, medical abortion where, you know, most people know taking the pills before that was even an option that was available to women. That was before I even thought I wanted to be a nurse. Like that was my introduction to healthcare. And so that informs all the rest of my decisions through doing home health, working as a CNA, working as a nurse, now a podcast or an educator. So that's why when you were like, hey, do you want to come on the show and talk about what's going on right now? I was like, absolutely. Sorry, mom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my mom, you know, if she listens Sorry, to this, <laughs> she's the one, she's the one okay. who taught me how to drop my first F-bomb. So <laughs> I can so imagine we you were just in culture shock. Like you're 18 years old. You've grown up really religious this whole time. And now you're thrown into this world where abortions are just part of the daily work that you do. Yeah. When I was a new grad, I think probably two years after I became a nurse, I took a job in a women's health care clinic as well. And one of the things we did a lot of was the, um, we called them, we called it the therapeutic abortion clinic, but really it was just for anybody that wanted to end their pregnancy. And one thing I did learn is that, you know, everybody has their story and it doesn't matter what situation you're in. It's always a difficult choice to make. So I, you know, had a box of Kleenex at the table because I knew that it was always in a really emotional time. And I think that people have this 
stereotype or this idea of what the typical patient looks like that's having an abortion. And I can tell you that they come from all walks of life and for all different reasons. And so I never want to judge people for why they're having one or question them because they're already feeling so vulnerable by the time they get to you. I don't disagree with you, but I want to challenge you in one way. And that Mm -hmm. is for some people, yes, this is a very difficult decision. And this is, you know, a path that for some people is lined with a lot of conflict. It's lined with a lot of emotion. For some people, it's not. For some people, they know it's what they want. For some people, they know they don't want children. For some people, they already have children. They know they don't want more. For some people, they know that they want children, but now is not the time for a number of reasons. For some people, they may want children, but they know their bodies can't handle it or the relationship they're in is not the right time. So Mm -hmm. for some people, it is a really difficult decision, but they come to it because they know it is the right decision for them. And for some people, like, you know, for me, I am in my 40s. I am child-free by choice. And I, you know, I'm fortunate enough that I've never found myself in a position where I've had to spend the money, the time, the physical effort to be the recipient of abortion care. But it's not something that I think I would struggle with because I know in my heart of hearts that this is this is the choice that is right for me. So yes, some people do struggle with it. Some people do need time to think about it. But I want to challenge that idea that women like struggle with this because some of us don't. And that's Mm -hmm. okay too. I'll rephrase. Maybe it's society that makes us feel that it's a wrong choice. Yes. And really it is simple in your mind, but you're made to feel by all of these external pressures that you're doing something wrong just by virtue of the way our society is. And we're also made to think that like we haven't thought about this until it happens. We haven't thought about this until we get the positive pregnancy test or we start to have symptoms of pregnancy. Most women or, you know, most uterus holding humans (laughs) know whether or not right now is a good time to be responsible for another human life for the next 20 years um, or 18 years or 30 years or your whole life if you end up with a child that cannot care for themselves, which is also, you know, as a nurse, I had a patient just within the last few weeks that, you know, has some profound developmental and physical disability. And I was talking to this patient's mom and, you know, mom is like up throughout the night providing cares, doing more than I am as a nurse. And I'm trying to give mom some respite, like, oh, just lay down. Just let me do it. No, no, no. And I said to mom, when was the last time you got a full night's sleep? And mom laughed and said, well, how old is my is my child? This is not something that as women, as uterus, as I always, I keep wanting to say as card carrying uterus holders. <laughs> card carrying um, <laughs> uterus holders. I love it. <laughs> but like, this is not something that we are like, you know, from day one, we're like, oh, I've never thought about this before. Like most of us know whether or not, like for me, I, I don't dislike children. I'm not a child hater. I love my friends' kids. I, you know, when I had to do like the day in my nursing clinical rotation where we had to go to a daycare and go around to all the different groups, kids are like magnets to me. I'm goofy. I'm a goofball. Like I relate to kids. I have no problem getting on the floor and playing with kids and interacting with them. I love children. But never once in my whole life have I held an infant and thought, oh, I want one. I want one of these. And that's okay. That doesn't make me less of a woman. But I know what I want, you know? Right. 
you know, Adrian, actually that really dovetails into a story that I was, I, I honestly, I was kind of struggling with whether I should tell it or not. And I was, I was speaking to my husband about it before I kind of came on and I was like, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to share my experience in terms of why, what changed my mind on the topic of abortion. And I think I've mentioned this many, many times that I, I was raised in a very, very traditional Christian home. So the viewpoints that I held and, you know, that they, they were, they were, you know, anti-abortion. They were very much like this, this is a life you can't, how dare someone take this life away? And, and very, very, you know, I think, you know, I, I talked a little bit about kind of like my, my sexual health upbringing and kind of how, how kind of, um, not, I don't want to say not educated, but there wasn't very many discussions about it, but I know for me, when, the the light switch flipped in terms of my thoughts about abortion as a late teenager um being in a relationship with somebody who actually i i actually didn't really trust very well because you know i think as um as a teenager you get into these types of relationships and you think to yourself oh you know this person loves me this person cares for me they're going to do the best for me and you know those words i don't know if you guys have ever had this experience yourself those words came out you know the i love you and you know your mind melted and you're just like wow this person cares for me this person is going to be the person that i'm going to marry so why not take this chance where this person's saying that, you know, it's safe. It's okay. We're going to do this. And I decided to take that, that chance. And actually afterwards, I found out this individual told me that they did not use a condom. So to my knowledge, I was shocked. I felt that I did not have any consent in that process where, although I said yes, I did not consent to someone having sex, sexual intercourse with me without using a condom. And I knew at that very moment that if it was going to be that I was going to have to end up being pregnant or have a child by this person, despite all of my religious upbringing, I said, there's no way in hell that I would ever, ever be forced to carry this person's child. And that's when my mind changed. I was around 19 years old and I was like, no, I, I had all this upbringing and I said, you know, there's no way that I consented to that. There was no, to me, it was, it was like very similar to what some people would talk about in terms of experiences of rape. I had no choice in the matter of this individual choosing to wear a condom. The agreement was this person was supposed to do that. And when it was over, they told me that they did not put one on intentionally. And that was not my choice. And there would have been no way that I would have ever, ever carried that pregnancy to term if it ever came to fruition. I think um, luckily my polycystic ovarian syndrome saved my life because I have very infrequent pregnancies and I did not become pregnant. But I know that if I was to become pregnant, that was the moment for me that I know that we had to have different conversations about abortion rights and the rights of women and the right and the freedom to choose what happens with myself and my own body. Mm-hmm. That makes so much sense. I mean, like, it's just it just drives me crazy how they think that, you know, we can control whether you have a pregnancy or not, but we're not going to support you with paid maternity leave. We're not going to support you with, you know, affordable childcare. We're not going to give you any of the resources to look after this child properly, but we're going to make you carry this child to term. It doesn't matter what situation you're in. It doesn't matter how this is going to put your health at risk or, you know, exacerbate existing health conditions. That just frustrates me. It's like, we're going to just change this legislation to force women to have children for whatever reason it is, 
and then we'll just deal with we'll just deal with it after whatever happens with that. We're just saying that legal abortion is no longer allowed, but we all know what that means again. It's just going to be more underground, back alley, unsafe abortions that are going to put women's and children's lives at risk. And I do want to clarify something. So Roe v. Wade protects abortion. So abortion is not being made illegal in the United States. But what it's doing is, and for those that are in Canada that are listening, um, the United States is, and, and, and I'm not familiar with the intricacies of the Canadian government. I will be very honest about that. But in the United States, we have federal law that governs all 50 states, and then we have individual state laws, where essentially each state is allowed to kind of make up their own rules. They have their own governor, they have their own legislature, they have their own kind of judicial system, and they get to kind of decide state by state what they allow and what they don't. So you can cross a border from one state into another and your rights change. You can live on, like I lived on the border of Illinois and Iowa. I right now live very near to the border of um, Wisconsin and Minnesota. So like you can live in one state, work in the other, and your rights change depending on which state you're in. So like you can go to work one place and your rights are this, and you can go to work in the other state. Um, And this applies to lots of things prior to gay marriage being federally legal, your your right to being married changed from state to state. Um, now with cannabis legislation, your right to cannabis changes. Um, now it's going to happen with abortion. Um, the problem is, is that with this, uh, with Roe v. Roe v. Wade being overturned, from the minute Roe v. Wade occurred and was, uh, 1973, okay, is when Roe v. Wade occurred and set a precedence for privacy, basically. This is what the, the precedence, the legal precedence is. We have the right to privacy, and this falls under that. Lots of other things fall under that, too, and I'll talk about that a little later. But basically, it says that now it's up to the states, okay? So there are some states that are probably going to maintain legal status. And I believe it's also, it's going to, like, there are certain states that have made it as such that it will remain legal no matter what. Like, New York is one of those states that it was legal prior to Roe v. Wade. It will remain legal regardless of what happens, you know. And then, you know, states like Illinois, Minnesota, California, Oregon, Washington, these are states that, generally speaking, it will most likely remain legal available, accessible. It's not just legal. It's that you can get to it, that there's a clinic, that it's accessible, that it's affordable, that you don't have to drive like eight hours to get there, all, all this all this stuff. Each state kind of gets to decide. The problem is, is that there are states that for ever since the 70s have been trying to make it illegal. They've been passing laws that make it more difficult, that limit access, that shut down clinics. So effectively, in some states, it's already kind of illegal, not because the law says it's illegal, but because you can't get one anyway, because you can't find a clinic, you can't find access, you can't. So these states are just poised, ready to flip the switch and trick the trip the trigger as soon as they're legally able to do so to make it inaccessible to all women. Now, if you look at maps that are coming out of states that are most likely to do this, it's like pretty much all of like the southeast of the United States, lots of the Midwest, um, pockets of the Northeast. So essentially, women that live in like the southeast United States, in the south, parts of the Midwest, they're going to have to travel many, many, many states to receive safe abortion care. And what that does is that not only makes it impossible for them, because if you could afford 
this shit to begin with, like, you know, it wouldn't be that big of an issue. But the we're talking about low income women, women of color, women that can't afford this shit anyway. And also even like people of modest income who can afford to just drop everything, pay for a medical procedure out of pocket, set up travel expenses, set up housing, set up childcare, all of these things, and go to another state for a medical procedure. What it also does is it puts undue burden on all of the states where it is legal to cover the freaking medical. Sorry, I'm getting upset. I was like, oh, I'm I'm relaxed and tired tonight. I won't get all cursy and upset. But what it does is it put up, puts undue burden on all these other states to provide these services for all of these states that aren't doing it. And then like what you've already said, women that can't travel, what are they going to do? They're going to try to find ways to do it themselves. Or they're going to try to find ways to find other people to do it that are going to be unsafe. They're going to end up getting infections, dying, having incomplete uh, abortions, which lead to infections, sepsis, all of this other stuff. So we're just basically making it harder for women to get safe care. We're doing it on a state-by-state basis. Um, yeah, that's that's where we start. That's That's kind of where it starts. So it's not making it illegal. It's just basically opening the floodgates for states to be like, not here. Not in my backyard. It's it's really decreasing the the access aspect, right? Mm-hmm. And I think this is this one of the things that I found really interesting was when the, when you were talking about Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court justice the ruling was seven to two, and they were overly Republican, right? So this is the other thing that I'm just like my mind, like I'm just like hitting my head and just be like, how does this make the it- Republicans of today are not the Republicans of yesteryear? So th- so it is a huge shift in terms of what they called back then reproductive freedom when they made this ruling seven to two, right? To say that, you know, abortion should be legal. And when I looked back into the history, understanding kind of, you know, what some people had to go through, it it was horrifying. There were, there were some stats that they were saying up to 300,000 women. And this was, this was off of a documentary I watched that I think they were talking about like ni- like the early 1990s. And they were saying something like 350,000 women will suffer ill effects if they don't have access to safe abortions. And then up to 5,000 and more die during the, some of these procedures, right? And again, like you said, Adrian, the wealthy versus the unwealthy, that African-American women are most directly hurt by these policies. They suffer the most ill effects of these policies. And again, like just hearing that, you know, back then women would have to go before a board of men to ask whether they can actually have an abortion. Some of them would even be forced to be sterilized. So they say, mm-hmm. okay, you know, we're, we're going to consider this as a, as a therapeutic abortion. They call it, they call them therapeutic. And, and again, they talked about it, about women's feelings. And it, like, I was watching it just, I think I must've said like, fuck you about 30 times to my TV where they were just like, oh, you know, if the woman feels her psyche may be at risk or she feels that it might put undue stress on her, we don't want to do that. And it's like, it's not just about our feelings. There's a lot of other things that we're taking into consideration. And really at the end of the day, it should not matter. Like it shouldn't matter. Not only should it not matter, but let's also talk about the fact that being pregnant is already so fucking dangerous for women of color. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the yep. mor- maternal mortality rate of African-American women's is already so much higher than yeah. that. So we're basically saying like, 
not only do you not get all of the perks of a society that supports mothers and, you know, parents, um, but now we're also going to put you through a system that's not going to support your maternal care, that's not going to give a shit whether or not you're more likely to die while you're pregnant, that's not going to give a shit if you're a victim of violence while you're pregnant. But yeah, I mean, essentially, we're looking at like something that like people are like, oh, abortion's dangerous. Pregnancy is more dangerous. You know, I'm going to I'm going to probably say a lot of things that I'm quoting from fact, and I'll give you guys some I you know, I did get some citations to pull so that we can cite them in the show notes. You're more at risk of having hemorrhaging from a tonsillectomy, from having your tonsils out than having a first trimester abortion procedure. First trimester abortion procedure is an outpatient procedure. Tonsillectomy mm-hmm. can be, but usually they want you to stay overnight. I mean, maybe not so much anymore. I don't do tonsillectomy care on a regular basis. But like there are risks associated with anything. But then when you talk about a black woman being pregnant for nine freaking months, that's where the risk is as well. And I'm not saying that because that's a higher risk that 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 black women should have abortions. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying like if you really care about women, you should be thinking about these things and you should be thinking about the children they already have yeah no i mean i i I understand what you're saying because honestly like if like the whole movement of you know talking about reproductive freedom was a feminist movement let's let's just say that right and now it it has to be an intersectional feminist movement we have to think about the inequities that we already see when it comes to reproductive rights of racialized women and we know that there's a disproportional effect towards black women evidence is overwhelming when we look at the morbidity and mortality the nicu rates all of these various different things that put black you know what i don't want to say that put black women at risk we are put at risk yes, because of the yes. laws and policies and the systems that are put in place in terms of reproductive justice and reproductive health care so this next movement that has that we need to we need to move towards it has to be intersectional it has to be intersectional feminist framework including all women, not just white women, not just women who have access to saying, okay, you know what, well, I can fly from this state to this other state, or I could do it out of pocket privately. I have the finances, I have the resources and the abilities. We have to think about other women that this, that that this will have devastating effects on. Right. And I'm, I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm, people are like, oh, you know, I saw this one tweet and it, it, pissed me off because it came from a nurse came from a nurse in canada and she's like oh you know we need to stop with this fear mongering whatever's happening in the states it's not going to happen here (laughs) oh no we we here in the states didn't think we'd get to this point and here we are here we are ever since i worked that job at 18 years old and i'm now 40 i'm going to be 41 in june i'm very proud of that because every fucking year is a gift that a lot of people don't get um (laughs) absolutely my whole life they told me they are never going to stop coming after this they're never going to stop and you know i saw one success after another you know it's kind of like a cha-cha you know they put judicial bypass into place and they you know they tried to get all of these like 24-hour wait bills you know there's there's been all of these little erosions to our rights and most of them are unnecessary most of them are to evoke emotion or to dissuade people for reasons that have nothing to do with science medicine social implications that sort of thing but then you have to think about Basically, we are living in a society that doesn't support us. They don't provide us with the information or the education that we need to prevent from getting pregnant. They don't provide society with um, 
the information to help us make educated decisions about this. But then we're also saying that um, we don't want women to be able to control their their place in society. Um, and I'd like I'd like to say this: there are these people that are like, well, if you don't want to get pregnant, don't have sex. If we if the world was that black and white, we wouldn't have problems. We wouldn't have any problems. It would just be it's this or that. It, there's no gray in between. We know that right. women, white, black, Asian, Middle Eastern, what whatever the nationality, ethnicity, race, they're more likely to be abused when they're pregnant. They're more likely to be unemployed when they're pregnant. They're more likely to be unable to work when they're pregnant. There are so many things that happen when a woman is pregnant that put her at greater risk of injury, poor socioeconomic status. Like we don't exalt pregnant women in our society, um, but we expect them to achieve. We expect them to take care of their children, to not ask for handouts, to not rely on people to have, you know, all of these things. But we don't give them any support. We're essentially saying to women, like, we're not giving you any choices. We're not giving you any help. And now we're taking away all of your freedoms. Um, these are freedoms that we've been fighting for for, you know, decades, generations and genera upon generations of women. Um, and it, it all goes back to to people saying to us, we know what's best for you. And it's like, you, you think I don't know what's best in my life. Um, and people, you know, right now we're seeing a lot of memes and gifs and like all of these uh, people, sound bites of people trying to get their point across. And people are saying, well, I'm standing up for Jenny who was raped. I'm standing up for Susie who is a victim of incest. Yes, there are those extreme cases that are very morally um, persuasive. But really, all it comes down to is you have a uterus. You're not ready to be pregnant for whatever that reason is. And that reason, you may try to qualify it. You may try to say, well, she has this reason and she has this reason and she has this reason. But unless you're willing to scrutinize every aspect of a person's life, you don't have any right to take one trait of that person and say, this is the reason it's valid. Because I may not have any children. But you don't know what my health conditions are. You don't know what my financial status is. You don't know what my career goals are. You don't know what my relationship is like. You don't know what my family history is. You don't know what my fears are about having a child. You don't know what my emotional status is. You don't know that I whether or not I've tried before and have had terrible outcomes. You have no idea. And for me to have to sit down and explain to you every nuance and iota of information about my life to try to make the general public feel that mine is justified is just unnecessary because it is not black and white. It shouldn't matter whether a woman was violated, abused, had sex when she maybe was drunk, uh, the guy took off the condom, the guy beats her, the guy is really nice and has a good job and why wouldn't she want to have a kid? Oh, maybe she's not ready. Maybe she's about to get a promotion. Who the fuck cares? It is not your body. It is not your decision. I do at some point want to switch gears a little bit because this isn't just about abortion. And I do want to talk about that because this is so important. But for all of those that are on the other side of this argument that are like, well, 
it's wrong and we shouldn't allow this. Right now, we are arguing about a fundamental right to privacy. Roe v. Wade argued that the reason we should be allowed to choose what we do with our bodies is because we have a right to privacy. And in that right to privacy includes in our Constitution the right to not be unlawfully searched and have our property seized which goes all the way back to what, like the Revolutionary War or whatever, when the fucking redcoats were coming trying to take our houses and our shit. Okay, so that's why you guys now, have a gun problem out there, right? <laughs> you're like an American. You're a modern American patriot in 2022, <laughs> and the government wants to come and take your guns and take your house and take your Ford F three fifty. They Bro, want it can't, all. Can't lose that. This falls under that. Also mm-hmm. falling under that. And I guess I'm in the topic. I said I don't. I want to switch to this later, but I guess I'm knee deep in it now. Also in this topic <laughs> is um. Your ability to choose what medical treatments you accept and refuse. (gasps) You know what falls under that? Whether or not you get to refuse a fucking vaccination. So if you want to retain your bodily autonomy, that includes whether or not you take or receive vaccines, whether you take or receive chemo, whether or not you want to go on palliative and hospice care instead of treating your your terminal illness, whether or not you use birth control, whether or not you get a vasectomy, whether or not you, you know, get a nose job. If you want the government telling you what you can and cannot do, all these people that are like personal liberties, This is part of that, people. So if you want them to start taking away our freedoms and picking and choosing and, well, we can have this freedom, but not this freedom. And I'll let you have this part of my autonomy, but not this part of my autonomy. We are risking losing it all because they're not going to be like. You are 100% 100%, right. Let me just. Mm -mm. For anybody who can't see me, I am bowing down to Adrian right now. You are right. It is about. Those fundamental freedoms. And this is not a thought that I came up with independently on my own, magically sitting at my desk here in my office. This is shit that women have been talking about since before Roe v. Wade, during Roe v. Wade, since Roe v. Wade. Like, if we if we look at our history and look at the things that are ancestors and the women that have come before us, our mothers, our grandmothers, our great-grandmothers, and all the way back. This is the shit they've been trying to tell us. And unless it's on TikTok or in a GIF, we have forgotten all about it. This is These are the things we need to remember, that when you start picking and choosing, I'm going to wipe out the document altogether. It's a really slippery slope. I totally agree. And I think having a child or not having a child is really the biggest decision you could make. Like, I read a study that said if you're going to raise a child from birth to age 18, it costs, you're probably going to not believe this, it costs on average $1 million. I believe it because I see how much money I spend on myself. And now I imagine doing it for two, three, four other people. Right. Right. And this is like, this is like average. So we're not even talking about people that spend like $5,000 on a stroller or have a nanny or like, you know, do these private lessons. We're talking about middle of the road. Okay. And this doesn't include college, grad school, braces, you know, like, no, none of that shit. No, we're talking about just like basic care and, you know, that that's daycare. That's like, you know, medical care. It's all kinds of stuff. After school activities like it's just unreal. And I'm sure that's not adjusted for if you have a child with autism or a brain injury or cerebral palsy or fucking emotional disturbance of some sort. Like that doesn't even that doesn't even factor that in. That's if you have a normal straight down the middle of the line kid. Yeah, I mean this really 
boils down to the fundamental principle of just equity and equality, right? Like it's, if this was shifted and this was about men, I think the conversation would be completely different. If we were lining men up for vasectomies, there would be, there would be no, there would be no contest. Right? Let's pull, let's pull the peas out of the freezers and line them up instead. (laughs) And the thing is, I don't even think that should be the case. You know, we're like, well, if women can't have abortions, men can't have Viagra. No, have all the Viagra you want because I think you could be able to control your body. But I don't think you should be able to control the body of the person next to you. Absolutely. And that is what the conversation has to be about. It has to be about, I have the right to say no. I have the right to say yes. I have the right to say go. I have the right to say stop. And it should be equal to that of the next person standing next to me. That is what it should be at the end of the day. If I want to be DNR at 40 mm-hmm. years old, I should be allowed because That's I've your thought choice. it out and I've discussed it with my doctor. If I want to get an IUD at 28, like I did, you know, I had an IUD in my early 20s because I had a doctor that was like, you're not a moron. You've tried all these things. You know what you want. This is not like the thing, oh, you're never going to have a kid. It's going to puncture your... Because, I mean, really, that's what, you know, we've talked, you know, I've talked and heard a lot of people talking about as well. Like, okay, say you you want to remain childless or child-free by choice, and you're not of a certain age. You don't have children. A lot of doctors will argue with you. Well, but what if you want to have a family? Yeah, but what if I don't? And you're costing me tens of thousands of dollars in birth control, reproductive health care, condoms. Are you going to reimburse me for all this shit when I'm 50 and I come back and I say, hey, pony up the money because you were wrong? No, that's my expense. It is so frustrating. I have sat in on conversations where the doctor is talking the woman out of getting birth control or talking her out of having her tubes tied like who are you like like you said do you know every little intricate detail of their lives and are you going to be there when shit goes down are you going to be writing checks when she can't pay for diapers at the end of the month like where are you going to be and this is where we have to have the discussion that's happening today so the discussion is who again is should be making this decision should this decision be made between the woman, the gendered person, and their physician? Or should this be made between the government? And I think this is what is most concerning to me, that the decision is now being made not just by the government, but by I um, religious zealots. Sorry. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Like, that's really what's happening. And the Catholic Church is pushing a lot of this agenda. It's it's really, really scary. And I thought that there was supposed to be this whole separation of state, separation of the government mm, yeah. and, and religion. And with what we're seeing and what I've been hearing and hearing how, you know, certain Republican governors and various different people are, are using religion as a basis for, you know, anti-abortion rights and these various different things, it's very concerning. Because most of them, most of the people that are in that category don't give a shit that not everybody is the of same religion as them or even has a religion. Because in their mind, it's like their good deed that they're, you know, trying to trying to spread their their way of thinking. I was raised Christian, you know, I'll be very open about it. 
Um, I was raised Christian. I thought for a long time that, um, and I'm not, you know, I'm not here to tell people one way or another what to believe, but I will say that I've come, I've seen lots of different uh, types of Christians. I've seen, you know, evangelical, I've gone to evangelical churches. I have some family that are evangelical. I've been to Lutheran churches. I've been to Catholic churches. I've been to non-denominational churches. I've been through a lot of different services, a dinner with a lot of people. I've, you know, I have friends that are Muslim. I have friends that are Buddhist. I've done my anecdotal personal and uh, life research. And I will tell you, I don't know what it is about Christians that makes them so fucking obsessed about what, who's fucking who, really, <laughs> truly. Um, no, this is not but, offensive. This is real. <laughs> <laughs> this is real. And this is not everybody because I do know a lot of Christians who are on the right side of things and understand that life is more complex than just if you do fall into this category of like, abortion is murder, you should not be using birth control, then I would like to say, you've only had, you know, you've got two kids, you've had sex twice in your life. That's it. No more. You and your husband. That's it. You, you know, because that is really defying. It's the same way. Okay. So when I was a senior in high school, we had to take a lifestyles class. Okay. Oh God. (laughs) And in this lifestyles class, because in this class, they taught you that there were three ways you could live your life, okay, as an adult, preparing to graduate from high school. You could become a member of clergy, never have sex. You could get married, procreate, and that's the only way you have sex. Or you could remain single and celibate. End of story. That's it. (laughs) Those are your three choices. So this denies the fact that humans have been having sex Since the dawn of humankind, it is how we all ended up on this planet. It is how we ended up having enough Christians to oppress all the rest of the world. (laughs) Right. For all all types of of and all types of sex, Adrian. Don't forget that. All types types of of sex. sex. (laughs) And biology has proven this is a natural thing. You know, there there's lots of different aspects of this that we can say happen, even if, you know, even if you live in the woods and you've never, you know, gone to a sex ed class, eventually you want to do things with those parts of your body. So it's it's stifling this natural part. And, you know, we have body parts made entirely for pleasure. Like we are one of the few animals, you know, there are some other animals in the animal kingdom that have sex for pleasure, but we are in that category. Like at some point we decided that sex was evil and sex was bad. And if you enjoyed sex, there was something distinctly amoral about you. And then unless you were about to fill the world up with lots and lots of babies, there was something fucked up about you. And I don't know where that came about or where that brainwashing occurred, but that essentially has demonized us for wanting to feel love, pleasure, satisfaction, for using our bodies the way they were designed by, I would argue, a creator that lots of people worship. And if your God is an awesome God, I beg to argue that that person, that creator did not fuck up in creating your body, right? Okay, so I don't necessarily believe that. But if you want me to talk in that language, I would say you're not a mistake, biologically, spiritually, whatever. And I feel that way about people that don't fit the mold of 
quote unquote normal as well. Like people have sex in lots of different ways that doesn't involve the ways that we traditionally think about sex in the movies. But something about our culture that's made it bad or evil, like, and and then to, to segue, well, if you're going to have sex, you should expect that this is going to happen. What, like kids are a punishment? Yeah. Some people say they're a blessing. You should accept them as a blessing. But if you're going to open your legs, you should do the time. You know, you should deal with the consequences. Which is it? Are they a blessing? Are they a punishment? Are they both? It's just all of these ideas that are swirling around that have convoluted our ideas of the fact that our bodies work in a way that we can control, right? If you get diarrhea, you take Imodium. If you don't want to get pregnant, <laughs> you take birth control. Like if you, you know, don't want to have seizures, you take anti-seizure medication. Um, we've assigned all of these moral and amoral uh, things based on religion. And then we decide we want to push them on everybody else. But what it all boils down to it is if you don't want me to tell you when you should brush your teeth and when you should get a vaccine, what types of cream, what types of cream you should put on your anus when you get a fissure or a hemorrhoid, or what type of underwear you should wear, or what type of, you know, hat you should put on your head, or what type of chemo you should get, or when you should take your blood pressure meds, when you should take your Lasix, you know, how you should give birth, um, all of how you should have sex with your partner. These are protected under privacy. The point is, is that your body is not made to be governed by other people. <laughs> it's okay, Adrian. <laughs> it's okay. I, I love, I enjoy your train of thought. I, I feel like you're so passionate. There's a train of thought there? <laughs> well, I'm trying to follow it. I think there's a train of thought. And it's all around, you know, we are in control. We should be in control of our destiny. And it should not be up to the government or some external, you know, institution to dictate our lives. And really, at the end of the day, it's it's our choice. And that's what matters. And we shouldn't be made to feel guilty about whether we have an abortion or don't have an abortion or, you know, have sex in a certain way. And and similarly, the devout Christians in the room don't need my atheist ass telling them what they should do with their bodies. But, you know, let me let me throw this out there. And I, I hate to do this, but really it is the truth. I remember having this conversation with my mom when I was in my teens, too, um, when we had, you know, pregnant individuals in our church that were unwed and me being like, oh, what happened over there? My mom would be like, oh, they they had sex out of wedlock. And I was just like, oh, so this happens. And and the truth of the matter is it probably actually happens more frequently within the church than it does outside of the church based yeah. solely on the education that is provided in terms of like sex, sex health, sex ed. And I remember when I was doing my little research and finding that information out and I was just like, what? <laughs> like this is completely backwards. And yeah. Yeah, like I'm sure I'm sure you've had the same experience. And I don't have the data in front of me, but if you just look up the data, non-biased data reporting agencies at the state level, you'll see that comprehensive sex education programs reduce teen pregnancies, reduce STD infections. States that have legal access to abortion have lower abortion rates. Like right now, if you look at the graphs of abortion rates in this country, they've been trending down. That's going to change. Um, but if you tell people, don't look in that box, don't touch what's in that box, don't think about what's in that box, 
when you leave the room, the first fucking thing people are going to do is go into that box. Yep. If you educate people, <laughs> give them power, give them tools. Everybody's like, well, if you teach a kid how to use a condom, they're going to want to go out and have sex. I learned how to use a condom from a book when I was young. I went to the Melrose Park Public Library. I got a stack of books because I was a nerd. And I got a bunch of books that explained sex. I did not have sex until I was much older than all of my friends that were having mm -hmm. sex. Did the knowledge make me want to go out and do it? No. But when it was time for me to do it, I wasn't getting chlamydia. I wasn't worried about getting pregnant because I knew how to protect myself. Those that are going to do what they're going to do are going to do what they're going to do. And that's also the danger of if we take these rights and the abilities and the access away, right? The the real danger is people will hurt themselves trying to, you know, do this on their own. Let's talk about some solutions or what we think we can do. What we what should we advocate for? What do we what are the next steps we need to take? And again, I always when I think about these things, I always think about policy because policy is where we're having we're we're having this problem, this discussion right now. Like what are some of the things that we can do to make sure that, you know, they don't take our uteruses away. They don't take our rights to choose away. Like one of the things that is most concerning is you know we taught like during this whole pandemic you know you had the you had those people that were like oh you know my rights my freedoms my body my choice where are those people now because mm, they were yeah, saying my body my choice about vaccines and nobody mm -hmm. was holding them down and forcing a needle into their body nobody was so now what do we do with these women who have no choice that this that this thing is growing they don't want it but we're going to force it on them. We're going to, I even read as far as some states looking at imposing death sentences for women who go abroad to obtain an abortion. But aren't we pro-life? Aren't we pro-life here? We're, we're pro-life until we're not pro-life. Another thing I'd like to bring up is one of the things, you know, we talk about like some people are like, well, maybe early on, you know, within the X number of weeks. It's okay if it's really early on. Later it gets, the worse it gets. The problem is the reason women, 90% of, of women want it taken care of, um, want to receive care, um, want to receive abortion care immediately upon discovering they're pregnant. The things that make it happen later in the pregnancy is usually lack of access to care or, you know, some kind of genetic defect, some kind of anomaly, some kind of health issue that was not detectable. The clinic that I worked at did second trimester procedures. Now, this is anecdotal. I don't have statistics in front of me, but from my own personal experiences as a young woman, these were people that very much wanted to carry these pregnancies to term, but they found out that there was something horribly wrong, either with themselves or with their pregnancy that led to, because, you know, people say things like, well, abortion shouldn't be used as birth control. It's not. It's expensive. It's painful. It's hard to get to. It takes time. This is not just like a, oh, I'll just, I'll just go do this on Tuesday. Like it's, it's difficult to use it as a form of birth control. And therefore, like people don't want to wait. People don't want to do this later in their pregnancy. People don't want to do it that way. So when we're talking about what solutions we have, let's make it less of a problem in the first place. 
early access, for example, medical abortion can be done very early in the pregnancy. You know, when you start making it harder and harder to gain access, we push women to greater and greater extremes. And that's when you see people that are trying to access abortion care later in their pregnancy, putting themselves at greater risk, putting others at risk, trying to leave the country, you know, going to back alleys. Um, and back alley I use as a, a quote unquote term, like not everybody is literally going to a back alley, but we're talking about people who don't have proper training, people who are looking to make money, people who may not have the right, well, yeah, lack of training, lack of proper facilities, lack of proper care, lack of knowledge on how to do this. And they're basically like hurting women, women hurting themselves. Um, I have two copies of, I don't know if have you, either of you ever heard of the book, Our Bodies, Ourselves? I actually saw that video video that you had sent us where you read a little excerpt off of it. This was a book written by the Boston Women's Collective. The first version came out prior to Roe v. Wade. And it's a book that talks all about everything in women's health care, birth control, maternal care. And it does talk about abortion. And in the first version of that book, there's a photograph. And this is a photograph that for a long time was very famous. And a lot of, I think a lot of young women probably don't know what photo I'm going to talk about. Um, and I do want to give a little bit of a trigger warning. I'm going to talk about something that's a bit more sensitive and that does talk about abortion and um, self-abortion and death as a result. So if you are triggered by this sort of thing, fast forward a few minutes or, you know, zap to the end. But there's a very famous photo in this book. And it is of a woman basically laying on a bathroom floor in a pool of blood with a hanger hanging out of her vagina. This is the length that women go to because they cannot be pregnant for whatever reason. And I'm not even going to list all the reasons that that could be. When women become so desperate they, that they need to not be pregnant, they start doing things to make themselves unpregnant. And it doesn't even have to be you're going to a doctor, you're going to someone in Mexico. It can be you in your bathroom drinking something poisonous, putting something in your vagina, trying to throw yourself down the stairs. There are lots of movies about this, books, literature. And this book, Our Bodies, Ourselves, talked about it. And they still talk about it in the newer editions of this book. I've had young women say to me, like, what's up with the coat hanger? If you don't know, you need to do some reading. Because if we do make it so that it is inaccessible throughout this country, and even other women that um, live in countries where it is legal, women do horrible, horrible, horrible things to themselves because being pregnant can be a, a death sentence for some women for a lot of different reasons. So I know the tone of my voice has changed, but that's because I'm trying not to cry because this is so fucked up. In my time at the Women's Health Clinic, I've also taken care of women who have come in for abortions, and then I've seen them protesting at the clinic. And these are women who think, well, but in my case, it was different. In my case, I had a better reason. I had a good reason. You know, these women are misguided. I think in some ways they're brainwashed. I think in some ways they don't understand. It just goes to show you that even if you are indoctrinated, even if you believe something, if you find yourself in a desperate enough situation, you will do what you need to do to protect yourself, protect your children, protect your family. That's the reality of things. So when they say, like, you can't make abortion illegal, you can only make safe abortion illegal. That is very, very true. I am very afraid 
for the months and years ahead of us in which we might see this start to play out again. And I think that the reason that in our world where we have all this access to information at our fingertips, we keep making these stupid mistakes, whether it be from, you know, not taking vaccines, not protecting our community health, not protecting our reproductive rights, not protecting our children, not protecting our rights and education in general, we're going to see why we were fighting to protect these things in the first place. When we let them fall to shit, rebuilding them is really hard and the damage we create is really rampant and really bad. I mean, I think like we we have to have these conversations and just We do. You know, before I came on, I was watching a little bit of a documentary on uh, Netflix. They were talking about um essentially the, what we were talking about today. Women will do really dangerous things. The first time I saw it was in Dirty Dancing. Have you seen the movie Dirty Dancing yes, with Patrick Dirty Swayze? Dancing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's an abortion scene in that. I didn't know yeah. there was an abortion scene until a decade a decade after I saw that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we have to talk about what is it that we can do. And it and it's and you know what? This is not just a women's rights issue. This is a human rights issue. This shouldn't be just women fighting for this. We need everybody to be fighting for this because if you say that you believe that, you know, you should have the right to choose, it's you have bodily autonomy, then you should be fighting for this too. So what are some things that we can tell people that they can do, um, particularly to our, our U.S. listeners and even for our Canadian yeah. listeners who who say, you know what, that's happening over there. That can't happen here. That's not going to happen here. What are some solutions that we can bring to this? I think that there are a few things. One, I think it's important, really important in all aspects to educate yourself because when you're able to speak about it and when you're able to speak about it with an educated mind, you're able, I don't think you're going to like change people's minds necessarily, but you can share the information. You can pass it on to other people who maybe don't understand it or maybe don't have the confidence to speak about it. Like we do, we need to have these conversations so that we can pass the conversations on and keep them going. Um, two, Um, A lot of people are very disenchanted with voting, and I think voting um, on a national level is kind of a shit show, but voting locally is still very important. I have seen local elections in my own areas be changed by as as few as a few hundred votes. So I think that knowing who is on your boards in your community, um, you know, in your state, I think that these votes are still very important because they are determining literally who is writing the laws in your area. I think that if you have money, give them to access funds. Um, I'll, I'll give you guys some links. I'm totally drawing blanks right now, but there are national access funds. There are state access funds. You can be giving money to organizations that are helping women access safe abortion or at least helping keep abortion safe as much as possible, lobbying for um, for this the this legislation, um, helping actually, like we had an abortion fund that actually helped subsidize costs for women who like maybe they were a few tens or hundreds of dollars short. And if they didn't have that money, it was going to push them into the next like part of their pregnancy, which would make it more expensive and therefore harder to get to. So they're constantly chasing this goal that they're never going to hit. So give money if you can. If you don't have money to give, your time. Find out if there's a local organization that you can volunteer your time with. 
Um, if you're if you like to protest, find out if there are counter protests that you can safely do against protesters at actual clinics in your area. Um, find out if you know if you really want to get out there and be in the trenches. Find out if you can be an escort at a clinic. Places like Planned Parenthood, local clinics, they need people to help women get from like their cars to the clinic without being harassed. There are lots of things that you can do, and all of this is documented. So you can like go to. There are lots of organizations that their whole purpose is to help keep this access and to help keep these things going. So look these things up. Do Google searches um, and make sure that you are putting, whether it's energy, money, time, whatever you can do into these organizations. If you have a friend who you think may be pregnant or doesn't know what to do, talk to them. If you have the ability to help them get access, help them get access. Start at the beginning. Can you help somebody with access to birth control, maternal health care? Whatever it is, like do what you can um, if you can get your hands on some emergency contraceptives, get you and your girlfriends get together, make a little stockpile of emergency contraceptives. Um, if you can help educate on, you know, how to not get pregnant, start educating your teenage daughters, your daughter's friends, your, you know, whatever you can do to make sure that you're protecting the women around you. Those are all really great tips. Like, I think it's just having the conversations that are important and making sure that if you or someone that you know is in this type of situation, that you make yourself accessible and non judgmental and just really, like you said, Adrian, just help them access the resources that they need. And knowing what's happening is so important and being able to use your vote to make a difference. Like, I can't emphasize that enough. That if you are in a position to vote, um, even if you've never voted before, get to know who your constituents are and where they stand on this issue and use your vote to make a difference. Encourage other people to do so. Um, Use social media to amplify the messages that you believe in. And I think that's also um, something that everybody can do. Yeah. And I'm going to close with just a very simple, practical tip. It's a very feminist mindset, but it's love women. Love women wherever they are. Love women from a perspective of understanding yourself, trying to understand other women. And we women need to support women. I, I mean this in terms of a gendered sense as well. We, we just have to do this work together. As I would consider myself an intersectional feminist, and I feel that, you know, at the very end of it all, we need to stand up for one another. We have to stand up for one another. I've been hearing so many dog whistles, so many things that the the patriarchy is is insisting that we must do to fit their mold and the way that they design things. And I think that, you know, we've been fighting this fight for a very, very long time. This is not new. This isn't something that just came out of nowhere. Women have been fighting for equal rights, equality, equity for for centuries. We're seeing things being peeled back. We have to stand together. We all trans women, all of us, we all need to do this work together. Just all I say is just love women. I think that that's just one very simple thing but a very, very important thing that we need to do and we need to recognize because there are some women that are part of this that are making this movement actually 
more difficult for us. I think we just have to like, it, it really disturbs me. I'm trying not to like get emotional too now. <laughs> it really does disturb me that there are women who feed into some patriarchal views that actually will cripple us at the end of the day. And that's why I think it's so important for us to all stand up with each other and all hold each other up. So that's all I'll have to say. Mm -hmm. But again, um, thank you so much, Adrian, for coming onto the Greeners podcast, talking all things women, talking all things equality, talking all things women's rights. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. It was amazing. And we'll include a lot of those links in the show notes that you can send us Thank after. You. Thank you so much. And I just want to tell everybody, like, keep heart. Um, this, this shit ain't over. It's not nope. over yet. It's not uh, over. We have we have lots of work to do. 